The reading this morning is from Matthew, chapter 21, verses 1 to 11. So it's Matthew, chapter 21, starting at verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you'll find a donkey tied there, with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and they'll be sent straight away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Okay. The title of the sermon this morning is Something to Shout About, and I want to be honest with you all straight away and say, this morning I don't particularly feel like shouting, and maybe that's a lot of you as well. I'm guessing this didn't happen at sort of 11 o'clock in the morning. Well, maybe it did, but uh, it feels like 6 o'clock in the morning. But um, I have been excited by this Bible passage as I've been studying it this week, and I hope that some of that comes across, even if I don't have all that much energy to sort of put it across. So let's pray that God will help us. Lord God, Thank you for the richness of your word. Thank you for the way it all connects together in wonderful ways. Thank you for the exciting future that it points forward to. And so, Lord God, I pray that all of these things would really excite us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've said that today is Palm Sunday in the church calendar, named after the palm branches that were laid down in front of Jesus as he rode into Jerusalem. It's like a big carnival procession, a big celebration. In fact, it was such a big celebration that um, it says in verse 10, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred, which is a bit of an understatement, really, because the word stirred is the word from which we get our English word seismic. It's like somebody's gone into the city and shaken everyone and said, like, look, have you seen what's happening outside the gate? The whole city was stirred. So why were people shouting and celebrating? That's the question I want to answer today. I know some of you know the answer, and for those of you who know the answer, I want to help you, hopefully, really enjoy that moment of celebration as we travel with Jesus into the city. Okay, why were the people shouting and celebrating? First of all, because they saw that Jesus had the power to make a difference in their lives. Our reading began with the words, as they approached Jerusalem. Well, who's they? It's Jesus, obviously. It's his disciples. It's a big crowd. And it's two guys who have just had their lives transformed by Jesus. Let me read you that bit. This is chapter 20, verse 29. If you've got a Bible there, it'll be up on the screen as well. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. 
Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. But they shouted all the louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately, they received their sight and followed him. Those two guys were in the crowd. Now, can you imagine if you were them, you would probably be shouting and celebrating as well? I know from experience that Jesus changes lives, not just um, opening the eyes of the blind as he did here, um, maybe not healing of physical sight, but healing, definitely. A miracle of forgiveness and freedom and change. There's a famous Christian called Lee Strobel. Here's a picture of him. He used to be a journalist and a convinced atheist. He uh, became a Christian, but before that, he was a really angry and resentful man. He had children, and his daughter, when he came home from work, his daughter used to tidy up her toys and go into her room and shut the door because she knew that was the safest place for her to be. And one time when he lost it, he was in the house, and he just, like, kicked a stud wall, and his foot went through it. That's kind of how angry he was. And then he became a Christian, and it changed him completely. Because his daughter watched the change over a few years and then later said to her mum, I want God to do for me what he's done for daddy. Isn't that a lovely story? Jesus really does transform lives. Now, an anger problem like that, probably you'd, you know, you might suggest that someone sees a GP and they put you in touch with a counsellor and all this sort of thing. Well, he didn't do any of that. He just met Jesus and it changed his life. So if Jesus has transformed your life, then let that be the start of your celebration this morning. Just think back over those memories of what a difference Jesus has made in your life. And that can be the start of your celebration. And if he hasn't made a difference, well, let's stick with the crowd and let's see what happens next. So firstly, Jesus has the power to make a difference in our lives. Secondly, they celebrated because they saw God's got this. He's in control both of the big picture and the detail. Matthew mentions the details first. He says this in verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, that's a bit of a mouthful, on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them straight away. Now, maybe Jesus had arranged that in advance, maybe he had friends there, or maybe he just knew that that's what they would find when they got there. We're not told. The point is, not so much uh, how Jesus had arranged it, but that Jesus had arranged it. If Jesus hadn't arranged it, maybe his disciples would have been saying, Jesus is asking for a donkey, do you know someone with a donkey? No, I don't. Oh, why is this always left to the last minute? I mean, Jesus has walked everywhere up until now. Why does he need a donkey now? If only we'd borrowed that donkey we saw in Jericho a couple of hours ago. Can we even afford to get a donkey? And, that, you know, they'd have conversations a bit like our conversations when we forget God's got this. God's got every detail of our lives. That is a weight off our shoulders, and it's that 
weight being lifted that enables us to celebrate it, doesn't it? We think of the change in our lives Jesus has made. The weight is lifted off our shoulders. Now we're free to celebrate. Now I want to show you from that reading that uh, there's still stuff we've got to do. We can't just kind of sit back and relax and let God take care of everything because we need to do three things. First of all, we still need to obey God's voice. Jesus said to two disciples, go to the village ahead of you, and they went. They obeyed God's voice. And if your lifestyle doesn't leave much room for even listening to God's voice, maybe, let alone obeying it, then you're depriving yourself of the opportunity to see that God's got this. We need to obey God's voice. Secondly, we still have practical work to do. We've still got our jobs. The reading said, Find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. Now, that's not super spiritual. Walk, find, untie, bring. God gives us all work to do, and maybe it's as mundane as that, just walk and untie and bring. Not spiritual work, just work. And he can use that in his plan. But we still need to do it. If the disciples hadn't done those things, Jesus wouldn't have a donkey. So Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. God has given you all work to do. He's given me work to do. So let's do it wholeheartedly. Thirdly, we might have problems to face. The reading says, if anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. I'd be a bit nervous if I was them. If Jesus told me to get into a car on Bulldog High Street, um, I'd be nervous. I'd be going there expecting someone to shout, Oi, what are you doing? <laughs> and uh, perhaps a bit more than that. You know, this is a, a time in history when... Uh, there wasn't really so much law enforcement as there is now. People took things into their own hands. So perhaps these two disciples were in for a bit of a beating. But what we see there is that Jesus placed his disciples in an anxiety-inducing situation. And maybe he's done that for you. This isn't even the worst situation that Jesus placed his disciples in, is it? He's always putting them in these high-tension, anxiety situations. And maybe he's done the same for us. We have to trust that God's got this. So what are the details, perhaps you can think this in your head, what are the details you're worrying about that might be stopping you from celebrating and shouting for joy? I could mention as well that this big celebration happened in the middle of pretty traumatic circumstances. Jesus has just told his disciples a few times that he's about to be tortured and killed. If you, you know, had a friend tell you they just received a terminal diagnosis, you'd be upset. His disciples are upset. He's just told off James and John for greatness grabbing. They're trying to be the best, and Jesus put them in their place. So maybe two of his disciples are pretty ashamed and embarrassed. And then after our reading, Jesus goes to Jerusalem where he's killed on a cross, and all sorts of other bad things happen. But in the middle of that, there's this big party where there is genuine joy and celebration. So how is it that in the middle of all that suffering, they manage to have a party? Well, I think it's, it's the things I'm saying. They knew that God, Jesus could change people. They trusted that God's got this. Thirdly, oh no, sorry, a bit more to say on that. Got a bit more to say about the fact that God's got this. God's got the big picture too. That was the detail, Jesus getting the donkey. But um, Matthew quotes words from 500 years before Christ, which gives the stage directions for this very moment. 
This is verse 5. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, I think on, this, on the day, most of the crowd would probably have remembered these words. They were quite well-known words. And when they saw Jesus riding in on a donkey, and they thought, ah, oh, 500 years ago, someone said, your king will be riding in on a donkey, they'd have thought, God's got this. We can celebrate. And they'd probably have thought, and we're part of it. We're seeing this. That's great. So let that shape your perspective on world affairs as well, the big picture. When you see all the doom and gloom in the news, there's a time to be sad and angry about it. There's a time for taking action. But there's also a time, just occasionally, to think, God's got this. And rest in his power and just get caught up in God's peace. I'm going to come back to that prophecy a bit later on. But here's the third reason the crowd was celebrating. Jesus was the answer to their prayers. More specifically, they're waiting for a king. And here he is, riding on the donkey. They, they saw that he was the promised king, the son of David. This is verse 8. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David, here's the king. Here he is. We're free at last. Hosanna, you probably got a footnote in your Bible, means save. It was used as a term of praise. Now, I want to give you two echoes from the Old Testament that must have come into their minds as they laid out their coats and as they shouted for joy. Here's the first echo. This was the anointing of a king called Jehu. Jehu is not a particularly famous king, but he did bring the bloody and evil rule of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel to a close in about 850 BC. So in a way, he was a hero. It says this. I've, I haven't put this one on the screen, so it's a little bit of a longer reading. This is the first echo. The young prophet went to Ramoth Gilead. When he arrived, he found the army officers sitting together. I have a message for you, Commander Jehu, he said. For which of us, asked Jehu, for you, commander, he replied. Jehu got up and went into the house. Then the prophet poured the oil on Jehu's head and declared, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anoint you king over the Lord's people, Israel. Then he opened the door and ran. When Jehu went out to his fellow officers, one of them asked him, is everything all right? Why did this maniac come to you? Oh, you know this man and the sort of thing he says, Jehu replied. That's not true, they said. Tell us. Jehu said, here's what he told me. This is what the Lord says. I anoint you king over Israel. They quickly took their cloaks and spread them under him on the bare steps. Then they blew the trumpet and shouted, Jehu is king. It's quite a big deal to take off your coat and throw it under someone's feet. Even more of a big deal, really, to take off your coat and throw it under the feet of a couple of donkeys. But it's actually in that kind of surrender, that kind of humility, that we find our deepest joy in Christ and in God's plan. These people, I think, were able to celebrate. It was kind of a, a cycle, really. They were celebrating by throwing down their coats, maybe a nice expensive Armani coat, throw it under the donkey's feet, surrendering themselves, and that enabled them to worship. And the cycle continued. The, they worshipped, so they surrendered, and they surrendered, so they worshipped. 
And you see, it kind of spirals, and it enabled them to have this moment of real celebration and joy, even though circumstances were tough. That's the first Old Testament echo. Here's the second one. This is Psalm 118, quoted directly by the crowd. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Psalm 118 is all about the king they were waiting for, returning from victory from his campaign uh, in victory. Think sort of President Zelensky, as and when and if the last Russian tank rolls out of Ukraine, and importantly, the children and other refugees return to their country. It's that kind of joy and celebration. Think back to ancient battles. It'd be pretty scary time. Uh, This is before the time, really, of professional armies. So if you were in your village and there was an oncoming force about to kill you and abuse your women and children and so on, um, and then the king of the local town stood up and raised his bodyguard and said, come on, sharpen your weapons and let's go, and then won a victory, you would be celebrating because you'd know that he brought you peace. So uh, this is what Psalm 118 says. I've just given you a few samples. The Lord is with me, the king says. This is from the king's perspective. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. And then as the king comes home to the city, open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. Now, the crowd interpreted Jesus' arrival in these terms. He was that victorious king. He was the one who was going to bring them peace. He, they thought, was going to liberate them from the Roman Empire and establish his kingdom. So they were excited. Now with this last one, I think, it's, you know, it's, we'd be right to think, why should I get excited about that? I'm, I'm not Jewish. I'm not waiting for a Messiah to free me from Roman rule. And uh, why should I celebrate that? You know, and it didn't happen. Jesus didn't liberate them from the Romans. Well, we celebrate, of course, and I know you know this, because the king was on a mission for us, wasn't he? He was on a mission. He entered Jerusalem, accompanied by this huge celebration, to receive his crown and his robe and his scepter. This was his mission. But it wasn't as people expected, as you know. Let me read from a bit later in Matthew's Gospel. Then the governor's took soldiers took sorry, then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. Then they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. Then they put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, They took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. So before Jesus was going to reign, he had this mission to complete, to give up his life, to save you and me from our sins. And we'll be thinking a bit more about the mechanism of that, how that worked in practice on Good Friday. I know Chris is preaching from a part of Romans that talks about that. And that means that when we meet God a God who knows all of our darkest secrets, everything we've ever done or thought, we'll have no fear. In fact, we'll be celebrating, we'll be his children if we've trusted in Christ. Because Jesus died in our place. Now, just think, 
How many world rulers today would lay down their lives for you? Even if, uh, you know, maybe if you're new to the Christian faith and you don't believe Jesus was the king he said he was, perhaps uh, how many influential people might lay down their lives for you? Not many, but Jesus did. And that is a reason to celebrate. Now, I understand that if the story ended there, that would be quite a sad celebration. We might celebrate someone laying down their lives for us, but uh, it will be a very somber occasion. But you all know how the story goes. The ancient Easter liturgy says Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. And that last one, Christ will come again, means that we await another triumphal entry when Jesus returns. So let me end with this warning and promise about Jesus' second arrival, his second triumphal entry. The warning, first of all, the warning is that not everyone will be celebrating because Jesus' second coming will also bring judgment day. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, what was he riding? Shout it out. A donkey, yeah. Uh, A donkey. It showed he was humble. But a donkey was also what ancient kings rode in peacetime. What do you think they rode in wartime? Somebody shout, horse. (laughs) Ancient kings in wartime rode horses, and in peacetime they rode donkeys. Listen to this symbolic vision of Jesus returning from the book of Revelation. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. When Jesus returns the second time, he's already come in peace to offer us peace, and many of us have received that peace. When he comes again, he'll bring judgment. And we need to think carefully, whose side will I be on when he arrives? That's the warning. But look, today is a celebration, so let me finish with this promise and an encouragement about Christ's return. If you're on Jesus' side when he comes on his white horse, then you and I will receive a kingdom. And God promises, this is a promise that I hadn't really thought about before, but it came up in my studies today. God promises that you will sparkle in the land like jewels in a crown. You and me, sparkling in the land like jewels in a crown. Let me read you that prophecy. This is a prophecy of the end. Then the Lord will appear over them. His arrow will flash like lightning. The Lord their God will save his people on that day as a shepherd saves his flock. They will sparkle in his land like jewels in a crown. How attractive and beautiful they will be. Grain will make the young men thrive, and new wine, the young women. That sounds like a party. If we've trusted in Jesus, I think that day will be something to shout about. That will be a big celebration. And I haven't told you where that prophecy comes from yet, because I want to tell you how that prophecy began. As in so many prophecies of the Old Testament, Christ's first arrival and his second coming kind of follow shortly after one another. And so that prophecy begins with these words. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, 
on a colt, the foal of a donkey. It's Zechariah 9. It's the same prophecy about Jesus riding into Jerusalem, moving swiftly from his first triumphal entry to his second, when we will sparkle in his land like jewels in a crown. So God has a plan, and he's given us pictures of the future to show how it will all come to pass, how it will all pan out, and it's good. It is something to shout about. So whether we feel like it this morning or not, let's take a moment to celebrate what Jesus has done for us and look forward to that wonderful future. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that each one of us in this room would trust in you and experience on that day what it means to sparkle in your land like jewels in a crown, to be attractive, to um, rejoice, to celebrate with you. Lord God, thank you that you walk with us through times of difficulty and suffering in this life. Please comfort us with the knowledge that you are in control. Please help us to see the difference that you make in our lives. And Lord God, may you prepare us for Christ's return, and may we be able to say wholeheartedly, come, Lord Jesus. Amen.